Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. Once again, thank you for joining us today on the program. I, I trust you are following us on a regular basis because we've been teaching a series now for the last about 20 weeks on the book of Revelation, and we're still in chapter 3. And what we're really teaching from uh, these, this particular segment is the transition of the church in the first part of the book of Revelation. Remember again, and, and I've, I've reiterated this, but it's, it's so worth saying again, that the book of Revelation is called the revelation of Jesus Christ. So when we're in this book, what we really ought to be looking for is not bugs as big as Volkswagens or Godzilla monsters coming up out of the ocean. We're really looking for a revelation of Jesus. This book was at the end of the Bible because it is the summary of redemption. It is not a book of just catastrophe. It is a book of the redemption from catastrophes. And so, and, and the judgments and the things that are in here to the believer, this book is not about what's coming to you. It's about what you've been redeemed from. And so uh, what we've really been sharing is that, you know, he writes the book of Revelation in chapter 1 and says to them, these letters are to be sent to seven churches that are in Asia. The first thing we need to realize is that this book had relevance to the first century church, to seven churches that were really in Asia. These were the first churches that were making a transition out of an old covenant and into a new covenant. I really believe that's what this book is about. You know, many, many of the scriptures that deal with the last days are not necessarily dealing with the last days of a future uh, period. They were dealing, if you look at the context of them, now let me say this to you, a text out of context is simply a con. And what we've done is we've taken a lot of stuff out of context and when we do that we really mess up. But you, for instance, the Apostle Paul would say in Hebrews 1, God who at sundry times and times past and in divers manners spake to us in, through, and by the prophets, hath, past tense, hath, that's a word that means he's not going to, he hath, Paul said, verse 1 Hebrews, hath in these last days spoken to us by the Son. Paul was calling his day the last days. Uh, you see the apostle Peter stand up and he says, this is that which was spoken of by the prophet Joel that in the last days, I'm going to pour out my spirit, he was talking about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and uh, you know even when he talks about with stammering lips and another tongue I will speak to this people yet they will not believe but the apostle Peter stood up and makes direct connection to the book of Joel. He said this is that. It's not what's going to happen when God sends a revival someplace in America he said, this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel, that in the last days. Uh, Hebrews, the ninth chapter, says, Christ once in the end of the world hath appeared. That's my favorite end of the world scripture. To hath appeared, to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. The apostle Paul writes to the book of Corinthians and to the Corinth church, and he said, these things happened to them under Moses as an example for us upon whom the end of the world has come. He was talking in context of his contemporaries. Now I know that that's probably 
a strange concept to some of you, but listen to what it's saying. See, the word world there is a word that deals with age or eon. And the last days that Paul was talking about in those scriptures was not the last days of this age. It was the last days of that mosaic economy, the Old Testament age, and that, uh, that epic of season was about to pass off of the scene. It was about literally to roll together like a great scroll because it was finished in the person and work of Jesus Christ, and a brand new day was dawning. And so what I began to see was that they were living in the last days of that old covenant and they are making the transition. And when uh, John writes Revelation, he says, these things, listen, th this chapter one, says, these things are about to shortly come to pass. He literally says that uh, in the very first chapter of the book of Revelation. And he says, those that pierced him will look upon him. Uh, I, I'm not twisting the scriptures to say that. That's what your Bible says. And then John is directed by the Spirit to send letters to seven churches, because these seven churches are the ones who need to repent, because their repentance means a paradigm shift or the change in the way they think. What a massive shift. You think about this. I, I don't know where I'd have been in all of this, to be honest with you. Because for 1,500 years, man, that's how Grandpa, Grandma, Grandpa and Grandpa's mama on their side did it for 1,500 years like this. And now all of a sudden there's a shift where we're not having to circumcise any longer. We're not having to abstain from, uh, 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 you know, there's not divers washings. All of this stuff was shifting. And you can see this tremendous transition, especially in the book of Acts, even among the apostles as they are trying to uh, wrap their head around what it means uh, not to be under this old covenant any longer. It is a brand new covenant, and this new covenant is not an addendum to the old one. It is a brand new covenant. And, uh, you know, uh, while people may be scared of that, it's not a covenant that will leave you lawless. It is a covenant of the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. Uh, so when he's writing to these churches, he's writing to these churches who are making the transition out of an old covenant mentality. They have been called out. They're the ecclesia, the called out ones. But they're about to be brought into the kingdom in chapter 4 where you see a throne set and they're about to be caught up to the throne and to a rainbow which, and a little book which to me is so powerfully pictures the new covenant and the kingdom of God in its present reality. What if everything we thought we had to wait for is already ours? I tell you, I believe there's a great awakening that's coming. Uh, to, and we're going to wake up and realize everything we thought we had to wait to get is already ours. You know, when I, 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 that, that, that just, just, you know, I, I mean, to me, I, I, you know, you, you, you may think I'm crazy about this, but I'm just going to share this thought. But back uh, several months ago, uh, the Lord simply spoke, he, the Lord spoke to me, said, I, I want you to get the movie, The Wizard of Oz. I know some of you are going to think I'm crazy, but I'm not out of my mind. I might be out of yours, <laughs> but I'm really not out of mine. And, and I said, Lord, the last time I saw The Wizard of Oz, I was just a little kid, man, and it scared me so bad I didn't ever want to watch it again. And uh, so I told Jason, who is uh, my, my producer for our television program, he's also my son, does a great job behind the cameras, and we just appreciate all the stuff that Jason does for our ministries. But I said to Jason, I said, I want you to get me the movie, The Wizard of Oz. I'm going to watch that while we're headed to a revival and watch it on my DVD player in my car. And so I started watching the movie, The Wizard of Oz. And man, uh, the, 
the Spirit of the Lord really began to speak to me through this movie because it's about a little girl named Dorothy who is in what I call a religious nightmare and she's being affected by a whole bunch of witches. And you know, when I think about uh, the spirit of witchcraft, I don't just think about somebody, you know, mixing potions. I'm sure that's out there too. Uh, but the reality of it is, is that it is anything that seduces us away from the realities of, of, uh, of, uh, of our real inheritance. And, uh, you know, I, I begin to think about, as I watch this movie, uh, Dorothy is in this religious nightmare, and she's off to see the wizard. And what she's told is, if you will follow the yellow brick road, one of these days, it's going to get you to the Crystal City, and when it does, you're going to meet the wizard, and he's going to tell you how to get home. And, you know, when I, I started preaching this, I, I said, tell the people, I said, touch your neighbor and tell him, follow the yellow brick road. Follow the yellow brick road. And all of a sudden, I think about uh, the yellow brick road as the street of gold. And I, I know that I'm probably out of most of your paradigms, but I'm going to talk anyway. Hallelujah. Uh, when I think about the Yellow Brick Road, I'm not thinking about a highway somewhere over on a planet three miles south of Mars. I'm thinking about a street called Straight, a highway called Holiness, this path that we are now in. Uh, I'm talking about this straight and narrow, and this straight and narrow is not performance. It's a road that only Jesus has paved through His divine nature. There's only one way in, folks, through the door, and that's through Christ. Uh, any, any way else is just a, a thief to you. Anyway, not to get sidetracked on that. But in the past, you know the movie probably, in this movie you've got a, uh, a scarecrow, you've got a lion, and you've got a tin man. And uh, the lion, he needs a heart. Uh, the scarecrow, he needs courage. And the tin man needs a heart. I think that's right. <laughs> I think that's right. It, it, anyway, that's pretty close to it. Uh, I forget which one needed what. Anyway, I mean, they encounter all of these things uh, that they're, uh, uh, I'm laughing because people in the studio are laughing because they don't know if I know what I'm talking about, which one had what, but uh, we're having fun anyway. But they're on their way to see the wizard, and they're encountering all of these, uh, all of these things that try to distract them. <coughs> but here's the thing. When they finally get to the Crystal City, what they find out is that the wizard is nothing but a scam artist behind a microphone that's been manipulating them and robbing them. But here's what they find out. Here's the powerful thing that the Lord really spoke to me through that movie is. What Dorothy finds out is she's already home. All she has to do is click her heels together and she'll wake up from this religious nightmare. And by the way, she will be at home and she will be in her bed, which to me powerfully speaks of rest. I submit to you, I suggest to you, click your heels, Dorothy. You're already home. You're already where a lot of folks are dying to be. Ephesians 1 says this, And who hath blessed us, hath, past tense, hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. The word places there is in italics, which means it's not in the original language. He already placed you in the heavenly when He placed you in Christ Jesus. Click your heels together and wake up in your bed of rest, you're already home and everything will flow from rest. What you're going to find out is everything, see the whole movie to me, what it spoke to me is that everything you thought you had to wait to get, you already had it. The, the, the lion already had courage because he was manifested all the way through this journey. 
the scarecrow already had courage because he was manifesting courage all the way through it. The tin man already had a heart because he was manifesting it all the way through this movie. And what was powerful to me is that everything we need, that I'm about to feel the preacher come on me, everything we need that pertains to life and godliness, God has already given us. You've already got the mind of Christ. That's the scripture said, you know, he's given us, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Uh, you've already got courage. He's already given us all things that pertain to life and to godliness. I believe God is about to wake us up from a religious nightmare. And we're about to find out that a lot of stuff we thought we had to wait to get, we've already got it. And we're going to begin to walk in it, manifest it, demonstrate it, and let it flow. Uh, these, and, and, I, and I believe that one of the things that, 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 that's happening in the midst of all of this transition in these churches is that there is a metanoia. There is a mind shift that's taking place that's causing them to access some things uh, uh, that, that are already theirs. Now let me go back again and read the, the, this chapter on Sardis. Says, and under the angel of the church in Sardis, right, these things saith he that has the seven spirits of God, the seven stars, I know your works, that thou hast a name, that thou livest and art dead. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die, for I have not found your works perfect before me. Remember therefore how thou hast received. Remember what you've already received what you've already got and heard and hold fast. Don't let go of that. And metanoia, change the way you think. If therefore thou shalt not watch, I will come on thee as a thief, and thou shalt not know what hour I will come upon thee. And thou hast a few names even in Sardis which have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He that overcometh the same shall be clothed in white raiment, and I will not blot out his name out of the book of life, but will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He's saying if you hold fast to what you've already got, don't let anybody rob you of what's already true of you. You are the righteousness of God in Christ. Your garments, which are the white robes, I've already dealt with this for two weeks, and you need to go back and watch that if you didn't get it. But don't let somebody talk you out of your righteousness. Don't move back to that performance-based uh, religious system, which is nothing more uh, than an administration of death. That's what was sucking the life out of this church at Sardis. We talked about it last week when we talked about the woman with an issue of blood. Uh, the issue of blood, she was not bleeding for her nose. She was bleeding at the point of intimate relationship. And I showed you how Isaiah 64 verse 6 says that your righteousness is like filthy rags. It's like a menstruous cloth. In other words, her issue was an issue of self-righteousness. Her issue was an issue of spotted garments, if you will. Her issue was an issue of a performance-based righteousness that does not give you life. It sucks the life out of you. And that's what he's challenging this church at Sardis. He's saying strengthen the things that are ready to die. Because if you go back to that system, it's going to suck the life out of you. I, I know there are people out there watching me right now. You've been in that system and it's all you can do to tolerate it week after week after week because it started out giving you life when you first got saved. But the longer you've been in religion, the more it sucked the life out of you. Now let me take that thought because I think I'll be able to conclude possibly this segment on Sardis in this particular program. But I want to read something to you from Matthew 24. It says, um, for, uh, 
verse number 37 says, But as the days of Noah were, this is Matthew 24, 37, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark, and knew not until the flood came, and took them all away. I want you to note uh, that the them all that went away was the wicked and took them all away, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Two shall be in the field, the one shall be taken, the other left. Two women shall be grinding at the mill, one shall be taken, the other left. Watch therefore, for you know not what hour the Lord doth come. But know that this, that if the good man of the house had known in what hour the thief would come, he would have not have suffered his house to be broken up. Therefore be ye also ready for such an hour as you think not the Son of Man comes. Who then is a fool and a wise servant? whom his Lord has made a ruler over his household, to give them, note this, meat in due season. Blessed is he that whom his Lord, when he comes, shall find so doing. Verily I say unto you, then he shall make him ruler of all of his goods. But, and if that evil servant shall say in his heart, My Lord delays his coming, and shall begin to smite his fellow servants, and to eat and drink with the drunken, then the Lord of that servant shall come in a day when he looketh not for him, and in an hour that he is not aware, shall cut him asunder, and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites. Now this scripture that's dealing with, I will come on you as a thief in many places like this. The thing I want you to see is twofold. Number one, I believe that Matthew 24, he's telling them, uh, Matthew 24 is dealing with Jesus standing before all the beautiful buildings of the temple. And he gives the prophecy that not one stone, uh, in verse number one and two and three of this, not one stone will be left. He said, see all these beautiful buildings? Not one stone is going to be left on another that will not be thrown down. God was going to dismantle this whole system with its animal sacrifice so that if you wanted to, you could not keep the law even if you wanted to because without the shedding of blood there is no remission of sin. So the temple was about to be destroyed. They were, they were rejecting their Messiah and Jesus is giving these prophecies concerning the destruction of the temple and literally what would take place in the end of the age. Now, I'm convinced that it's not the end of this age. It was the end of that same age that I talked about a few moments ago, the end of the age of the law. And he tells them in verse 34, he sets a time text of when all this would occur. He said, uh, Verily I say to you, this generation will not pass until all these things have been fulfilled. In other words, uh, heaven, uh, he, he begins to tell them, everything that I just told you is going to happen within this generation. Now, I know that there are prophecy teachers that will try to twist that and say it was talking about a certain race of people, but it never interchanges this anyplace else. He's talking a time text to these people. It's relevant to them. And he's saying to them, it's about to be destroyed. And then he goes on and says, but as the days of Noah were. In other words, it's going to be just like it was in the days of Noah. They're going to be eating, drinking, marrying, giving to marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark, the flood came, and destroyed them all. I, I submit to you that the, the ones that are being taken in Matthew chapter 24 and in Luke 17 are the wicked. As it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. In that day, there'll be two men in one field, one to be taken, or two men in one bed, one to be taken, the other left. The one that's been taken, see, when, when judgment came, even historically, 
to apostate Israel in 70 AD, every believer that heard the prophecies of Jesus in Matthew 24 said, when you see Jerusalem encompassed with armies, you better, if you're in Judea, you better flee into the mountains. Uh, historically, Josephus writes that uh, the Roman general uh, Titus literally backed up, and when he did for some unknown reason, almost every Christian fled so that there was not one Christian that was left uh, to be destroyed there. They heeded the prophecies of Jesus, and the moment they got out, then the fire began to fall, and the judgment came, and God began to destroy these wicked men. It was the wicked that was destroyed. They were the ones that were taken out, and this whole system was about to be dismantled. So when I see him say to the church at Sardis, I'm going to come on you like a thief, he's simply saying to them, there's a transition about to take place that if you don't walk in this new covenant, then this is going to come on you like a thief. In other words, if you knew what hour he was coming, you wouldn't, your house wouldn't be broken up. The house that was broken up was the house of Israel, and the house that was destroyed was this temple and all that it was. And if these people would have simply received their Messiah, they would have been watching just like he commanded the church at Sardis. Watch therefore, for you know what, what hour your Lord comes. Now, one of the things that I want you to also see is, I, I particularly see it like this. Historically, one was taken and the other was left. I mean, there was destruction that was unprecedented, tribulation such as was not. It's not what's coming. It's what has already occurred. Now, let me say this to you. I also look at it like this. We can look at it like this and say, in that night, there will be two men in one bed. One will be taken, the other left. I always thought it odd that he didn't say a man and his wife. It said two men. From God's viewpoint, there's only ever been two men in the earth. I have another book called God's Beauty of the Beast. I actually have a copy of it right here, but this book uh, describes a whole lot of that. You can order it uh, on our website. But uh, there's only ever been two men. The first man was of the earth earthy, and the second man was the Lord from heaven. That's only two. You're either in Adam or you're in Christ. I submit to you uh, today, here's a way of looking at this. You could do whatever you want to with it. Uh, what if the two men in one bed is Adam and Christ? And in your night season, when you don't have a revelation that your old man has been crucified with Christ, you live in the realm of duality, and you're not in the posture of rest in your bed because there's two men in your bed, I submit to you, one of them is about to be taken, and the other is about to be left. I'm telling you, when Jesus comes in, one of them goes, and the other one remains. And I'm submitting to you that the one that's taken is just like it was in the days of Noah. And interestingly enough, the writer of the book of Peter gets a hold of that and says that the picture of Noah is a picture of water baptism. When we go down into the waters of baptism, we go down in an old world dominated by sin, but we come up in a brand new world. And it's not an accident that the ark lands on top of a mountain called Ararat, which means the curse is reversed. Now let me show you this as well, because he said, Who then is a faithful and a wise servant, whom the Lord has made ruler of his household? That the job of valid fivefold ministry is to give us meat in due season. I think it's interesting that he says, uh, uh, Woe to them that are with child and them that give suck in those days. And again, that had some historic value. But I think he's also preaching, talking to preachers who won't give their people anything but milk and won't give them meat. But it's our job to give them meat and due season. And he said, but if that evil servant shall say, my Lord delays his coming, uh, and shall begin to smite his fellow servants, uh, he will appoint him his portion with the hypocrites and cut him asunder. 
uh, and, and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites. You know, one of the things, the ways that I look at this is, it's our job as valid fivefold ministry to feed people meat in due season, to grow them up into who they are in Christ. But if we say the Lord is delaying his coming, and in, 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 in light of this, uh, it's not just to me his physical coming, but his coming or his appearing or his unveiling his revelation in our lives. We set many times as pastors or ministries that we look at our people and we don't see the Lord coming forth in their lives as much as we would like to. And so what we do, rather than giving them meat in due season, is we try to beat it out of them. We try to smite them. We try to wound them. We try to legalistically force them, uh, if I could say it like this, to force his appearing in his people. And he said, what's going to happen is I'm going to appoint these guys, their portion, with the hypocrites. Now, I believe that, again, this had some relevance to 70 A.D. because he tells them several places in the Scripture, you will not have finished going through the cities of Jerusalem to the Son of Man be come. He was talking about His coming in judgment. He told Caiaphas, you will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Uh, he told the, uh, them, what will you if John tarries till I come? Uh, he tells them, uh, some of you standing here will not taste of death till you see the Son of Man coming in His kingdom. That, ladies and gentlemen, was being addressed to this first century church and what we don't realize is that while Jesus is ever coming, He was, He is, and He is to come. So I'm not trying to be uh, argumentative. I'm just trying to get you to see not only is He coming and has He come, He is already come. Emmanuel, God, is with us. He lives in His temple for the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And sometimes he comes in like a thief, but what he takes is he takes out the old covenant, he takes out the old man that it was written to, there's only one man left in your bed, there's only one covenant left, there's only one righteousness left, and he removes the old as it rolls together as a great scroll and passes away with a great noise. Peter said, uh, or the Apostle Paul says to the Thessalonians, to that church in that time area, don't let that day overtake you like a thief. That was coming to that church at Thessalonica, and he was saying to them, you heard Jesus teach, so this day is not going to come on you like a thief. You're not going to have to wait till God comes and absolutely takes something from you where the house has been broken up and you've lost the old covenant. You've lost. You don't have to wait on that. Hallelujah. He said, you don't have to wait on him to come to you like a thief. I, I submit to you, he comes to us as believers, not like a thief, because that day we're not children of the night, but we're children of the day. We're out of time. God bless you. I know I've stuffed a lot in this message. Keep watching us. We're going to keep on explaining stuff. Take a moment to call that number on the screen and sow a seed into the ministry. It's what helps us to take the gospel of grace literally around the world. God bless you for joining us today. For anyone struggling to understand John's writings in Revelation, this book provides true, biblically-based answers. Through detailed insights into the letters John wrote to the seven churches of his day, you will learn how to avoid the mistakes of the early church to overcome today's trials and tribulations. This book will provoke you to thought and dialogue, bringing greater clarity and revelation of Jesus Christ.